Well, thank you for joining us once again. My name is Matt Phillips, and you're listening to Run Chat Live, episode 14. So we've made it, end of the year, the last episode of 2018. And I'm very excited to bring you a special guest who is going to provide a runner's guide to pain. No easy task. If there's one theme which continues to run throughout all of these episodes of evidence-based practice, it's an understanding of pain. And that goes for runners themselves, as well as the therapists who treat runners. Um, I'm delighted to bring you one of my go-to people for understanding pain, whether you're a runner or a therapist, uh, Mr. Ben Cormack of Core Kinetic. Um, I've been to Ben's courses. I've helped present on Ben's courses. Um, I'm a massive fan of Ben's work. Um, he's gone on to become a speaker at the San Diego Pain Summit. Um, he is a go-to authority. I definitely recommend if you're a therapist to check out Ben's website. Um, but hopefully in this podcast, um, there'll be something here for runners and therapists with regards to how understanding a modern interpretation of pain, um, thanks to concepts taken from modern pain science and neuroscience, um, we can help understanding a bit more how to reduce risk of injury, how to recover from current injury, how to optimise running performance. There is a lot of information in this, and I hope um, together, myself and Ben, help get some useful information across. Um, enjoy, let me know what you feel, leave some comments, and I guess I better say have a good new year. We'll see you on the other side with episode 15 in January the 6th. Enjoy. Hi then, good morning, we're live. Uh, 10 o'clock, the slightly later time today, normally we're 9.30, but for this week's guest, I was prepared to move the sun, the moon, and the whole of the constellation. Um, it's none other than Mr. Ben Cormack, who I will be bringing up with us shortly, uh, because today's episode is all about pain, and um, understanding pain, and how understanding pain can help runners on levels which you wouldn't even imagine. OK, um, the whole aim of it is to keep it simple, interesting um, and engaging for the runner. There's plenty of information out there for therapists, um, but I do feel there's a bit of a lack for runners, which is what this whole show is about. Uh, before I bring uh, Ben Cormack on, just to remind you that this show is now available as a podcast. It's all over iTunes. Um, it's um, on Podbean, Stitcher um spotify uh, you name it is up there so just do a search for run chat live or check out the comments i'll put some links later on and do please um like and share so um yeah without further ado i think what i'll do is i'll bring on mr cormack an exciting countdown of three two one hello matt hello let's uh let's 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 everybody see your lovely face shall we and it is a lovely face, Matt. There we go. What else could I do first thing Sunday morning? Oh. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, you know, it's a Sunday. I oh, know, I know. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. And of course, normally you're kind of dipping your toes in the beach at San Diego and kind of living jet style, rich and famous, aren't you? Or Well, I think more I tend to be working on Sundays teaching. So actually, <laughs> it's nice to not be working for once. All right. And you've got a little one as well, haven't you, Rafferty? My, my little man. My little man is seven. Yeah. So that's a full-time job in itself. Oh, that's amazing. I love, uh, well, I love following you for all sorts of reasons. I don't mean literally. I mean on social media. I wondered um, who you did, fellow, though, well, every time I turn around. <laughs> I'm there, this big shadow. No, because, I mean, I left kids quite late. And um, so it's nice seeing um, fathers out there with seven-year-olds. Mine's only three and a half and one and a half. So I get tips of what to do. And in your case, um, what not to do. So it's useful. It's great. <laughs> it's really useful. <laughs> anyway, so no, thanks again. Really, I really appreciate it. And hopefully anyone watching this uh, um, and watching the recording later on will do as well. So, yeah. So um, I've set you quite a hard, hard task for today because obviously any therapist will know and you above anybody that explaining pain is not that simple because um, we don't know that much about it ourselves and getting it across to a runner for example without filling their heads with even more of a mess is pretty difficult but that said I thought the way we could start off and the way I tend in clinic maybe to approach the subject is just kind of um, give some examples of how pain can be weird and how that opens the door to maybe help runners think actually no it's true now you say that oh yeah that is true 
Um, and that opens the door to maybe some explanations and some kind of uh, getting rid of some of the preconceptions we've got about pain. So, yeah. So, Mr. Ben Cormack, how is pain weird? <laughs> a weird question to start in itself. Um, so I think what I might like to say, I think, is what is a fundamental key message that people need to know about pain, right? And so if if, if we were going to look at pain and, and and think about pain, I would say, in a, in a sense, I, I suppose it shows the weirdness of pain in a way. But certainly I think fundamentally that pain is, uh, you know, that it doesn't always mean that there's damage or it means that there's harm. So we can have pain, you know, I, I think fundamentally most people understand pain as being reflective of an injury or reflective of some kind of damage to the body. And I think the more we understand about pain, the more we realise that lots of things can influence pain and pain also isn't always reflective of of, of actually what's physically going on within our bodies. And I, and I think that, you know, that that shows the kind of the weirdness of, of how much we don't actually understand always about pain. You know, it's okay. not just about kind of um, uh, damage or, or, or what have you. So uh, what are some other t- things, situations we might get where pain is weird? Certainly pain does things like move about and it jumps about and it goes from one place to another place and pain feels different at different times and the intensity of a pain will feel different at different times. And one day you might go for a run and you might get pain and another day you might not get as much pain. You know, pain doesn't seem to be kind of constant and it's not always really associated uh, just specifically with 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 what we might see as damage or, or something like that. So, so I don't really know if that answered your question, Matt. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, that's brilliant. And and all of those situations you've just given help runners realise, oh, actually, just because my knee hurts, it's true. Some days it will hurt more, some days it hurts less. Um, the way it can suddenly set in at exactly kind of 10 miles to the kind of metre sometimes, it can be yeah. that accurate. Um, the way... Yeah, it hurt. Why didn't it hurt when I started running? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think this does definitely open the doors. I mean, the whole, I think where a lot of therapists start opening their minds to pain is the whole subject of phantom limb pain which runners might not be aware of but yeah do you ever use that or talk about that is that a good demo of how pain is weird well i suppose that you know if we attribute pain to a problem with the body um and suddenly you get pain in a body part that doesn't actually exist well that shows that it's a pretty weird scenario doesn't it you know so actually 80 percent of um amputees suffer from phantom limb pain so it's not like a, a, it's not actually a strange phenomenon. It's a very normal phenomenon, although it's strange in the way that it works. So absolutely. So if we think that pain is about damage and I haven't got a body part to be damaged, but I've still got pain in the body part that I haven't got that isn't damaged. Well, that's goddamn weird, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, it's yeah. a great thing to start off any conversation with pain is weird. It makes yeah. patients or clients or runners understand, you know, it's not simple. So, let's say a classic pain example for a runner is patellofemoral pain. That's it's, what's, what's it called? What's the colloquial term runner's knee? Right. So we would have patellar tendinopathy would be jumper's knee. Patellofemoral pain tends to be runner's knee. Now, one of the weird things about patellofemoral pain is it's very, very hard to actually locate where it is. So it will be around the joint and it will be up here and it will be down there and I'll pay, I'll palpate the patient's joint and it will be like all over the place. You know, it will hurt one place or it won't hurt another place. It won't hurt on palpation, but it will hurt on this. And, you know, it just behaves very, um, it just behaves in a way that doesn't, isn't congruent with how we might understand pain from a rip or a tear or a cut or one of those kind of more, um more not normal pain situations but maybe how we might view pain traditionally so probably location is one of the best ways that i think people can start to get their head around the fact that pain doesn't always work specifically in the way they may feel it works you know um whether that's it moving around or it's going you know it's going from the top of the leg to the bottom of the leg or you know whether when it kicked in and all those type of things so I think sometimes when you work with people and you talk to people about pain, one of the best ways to help them conceptualise pain is actually to talk to them about their pain. You know, actually say, you know, say, 
this is your pain pattern or your pain situation. That's not, you know, that doesn't fit in with maybe how you perceive pain to be. So I think the best way for people to do it is often conceptualise it within their own story. And they may say, oh, God, actually, now you come to mention it, it does move about a bit or it does. The intensity does change or it does, you know, happen at this point or not at this point or when I didn't expect it or when I did expect it. And that in itself, in a person's story, often helps them understand about pain a little bit better. Yeah, no, brilliant. I mean, I think because traditionally, I mean, someone is now aware they've read articles and things like fibromyalgia and chronic pain and persistent pain. But I think I noticed a post from you the other week, which kind of explained that we shouldn't really think that the brain and nervous system is only involved with chronic pain and kind of pain disorders. It's still a factor in acute pain. So if a runner comes to you and they just come in the door and go, look, my Achilles is hurting. You know, I did it a week ago. I know I did it. Is there still something to explain about pain there in terms of rehabbing it or recovering from it? Well, I think everyone, one of the, what's one of the big things that people have a, with Achilles tendinopathy, one of the big things that people come in and, and they're worried about is, is rupture. So it hurts. Is it going to rupture? So I think understanding pain and understanding tendinopathy a little bit better and the fact that, you know, it may be to, there's lots of good tendon in there and that, you know, even though it's painful, it doesn't always mean it's damaged and it can still look really bad on a scan and it may not be painful or it can look really good and it's still painful. What I think that helps to drive a wedge between is the idea that it's suddenly going to degenerate or deteriorate or and also that it's going to rupture. So understanding that pain is separate from structure is important in all pain scenarios, because one of the big things that people worry about is it is kind of making the problem worse. And often mm. that's linked into the state of the tendon. If it's the back, it might be the state of the disc. If it's the meniscus, it might be the meniscus. If it's, you know, whatever pain situation, if we see it as solely linked into structure, more pain tends to equal more damage, which tends to scare people and worry people. You know, so I think it's fundamental that even in acute, remember, acute acute only is a time frame. Mm. So acute and chronic are time frames. So beyond that, why, you know, then the, they don't tell us much about why you have pain. Unless someone, yeah. you know, dropped a brick on their foot and they've smashed their toe to pieces, then I can tell you that's probably because you've dropped a brick on your foot. You know, um, and you can look at your foot and there's a brick dropped on it. But in most scenarios, especially running injuries, which tend to be quite unclear in terms of source, you know, not many runners will tell you, you know, I suppose the biggest running injury I might see that there's a mechanism behind, a really specific mechanism, would be someone who's like stepped on a dodgy paving slab and twisted their ankle. And then we can say... That's exactly that. Most running injuries are what we might describe as insidious or kind of sneak up on you. And I think in any of those situations, it helps to understand what pain means, what pain is and how you should you kind of put that into your rehabilitation program. Cool. Yeah. So you picked up on the fact that we can help runners by explaining that or what it isn't to a certain extent, that if they're worried that they've torn a, or done this or they've read something, then that can help reduce pain. And we've talked about that in other episodes of Unchat Live, the importance of communication and metaphors and fear and that. Then there's the other angle as well, where runners maybe are, think they can just fight the pain, just keep running through it. So that's why oh, education oh, can help as well, can't it? The other, the other side of the equation. Yes. So I think there's two ends of the spectrum of pain. So one end would be the kind of, Pain motivates me not to do things. Mm. So avoid, you know. And then the other side of pain would be pain is weakness leaving the body or no pain, no gain. And equally, I think they're two problematic ends of pain. You know, there's this healthy middle zone where I think that if you experience pain, it's probably telling you something. You know, if it's pain during running, it's telling you something that maybe you need to think about maybe the, the amount of miles that you're doing or maybe your sleep or maybe your nutrition or something. You know, I think there's always a message in it um, to some degree. But, you know, at the end of the day, we should have a healthy perception of the message. So seeing pain as weakness leaving the body and no pain, no gain is not having a healthy respect for pain. You know, mm -hmm. to be honest, it's stupid. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, it's stupid. It, it, you know, you've got pain. And if it's running related, then it's probably something to do with running. And keeping going, running, running, running is probably not going to help it. Pain is not going to go away by running more. I can almost guarantee you that. Whereas some other people, it may be actually that they get a little bit of pain and they shy away from running. So that they, that, you know, now they decondition. Now they, um, you know, now they may become more sensitive to pain because, you know, it's like hypertrophy. The more I work my muscles, the bigger I get. But the less I do, the smaller I get. Right. So at the same point, our sensitivity and tolerance to pain is probably like that as well. You know, so we have to think about it from both ends of the spectrum. So understanding pain, I hope, gives us a healthy perception of what pain is and how we should respond to it. Either end of the spectrum are unhelpful. No pain, no gain. That's a load of bollocks. And at the other end of the spectrum, sorry, I'm an honest I'm an honest copy fella. Excellent. So on iTunes, you now find this podcast in the uh, restricted age category. Thank you, Brent. Continue. <laughs> yeah. It's a Sunday morning. I sh- I'm, at, I'm usually at church, to be honest. So yeah, I'm back here. Back up, mention the Lord. And we're back down yeah, yeah, to uh, PG. That's good. Yes, he's on my side. Don't worry. He'll, he'll, there'll be a divine intervention somehow. And also the other end of the spectrum where we're too afraid of pain is also problematic as well so let's be in that middle ground a little bit of pain is normal and healthy you're going to get it if you're a runner a footballer a tennis player whatever sport you do pain is going to happen right you're going to have to deal with it don't try and run through it always don't give it too much respect understand it happens it's normal let's stay in that middle ground not be afraid of it but also not be not afraid of it (laughs) Yeah, definitely. No, good message. Definitely. I think the big problem is, especially with runners, there's a there's a conflict or a uh, they get confused between pain and effort, don't they? They think, you know, tight or even fatigue to a certain extent. I think they're confused. Look, you can get through this, pull yourself together, be positive. It's just kind of your, your body's getting a bit negative, but they're totally different. Aren't? Well, they are connected, but runners should oh, yeah. pain with with effort. Yeah. Body sensations are funny, aren't they? You know, that, but we know we know that triathletes, for example, who have better natural pain killing systems than your average person off the street. Let's be honest. If you have a, if you run a marathon, you're going to have to go through some pain. Right. That's un- undoubtable. Um, but I suppose it's how much we overcome our body's natural you know, responses. So it, uh, one of the issues, I suppose, is, is that we've become too cerebral haven't we? We've become too executive function that, you know, we can choose to avoid or we can choose to go through it. Um, and sometimes we need to, uh, sometimes we can have too much or too little um, kind of perception of, of what's occurring. I'm not sure perception is the right word, but it is a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, look, I won't lead you down the discussion. <laughs> it's not mate. I've, still, I've still got to go to church, so. let's 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 give you a bit of an easier question then so um oh no let's bring this up here you're gonna like this one um because it's i think you'll be able to answer this in a few words um let's bring it up here Mm. there you go mate take it away what causes pain oh blimey I love oh, the way you were taking your jacket off. Jacket off and all sorts going on here. What causes pain? Remember, wow. you're talking to a runner who now understands about the weirdness of pain and that it can spread and it changes. You've already hinted yeah. that kind of the brain and nervous system are involved, but any nutshells or metaphors or gems you use to kind of explain? I'm going to be really honest with you, Matt. You know, honesty is I find is the best policy, unless it's with your wife, of course, when honesty isn't the best policy. But I, I didn't say that. If you're watching, darling, I didn't say that. It's recorded. Um, and... Yeah, oh, I know. I'm going to get it now, Matt, aren't I? Um, look, so I, I personally mostly try and steer away from the idea of causation. I'm going to be really, really honest with, with patients I work with. Because I think we, we don't, we don't know. We don't always know. So running, let's be honest, right? Running injuries, what probably causes most running injuries, Matt? According to the statistics, the data, kind of overtraining, inappropriate loading, yeah. Running. Yeah. Yeah. So if a runner comes to me and they say, why have I got this running-related injury? And I'm going to scratch my head and I'm going to muse, I'm going to say, well, it's probably running. 
So, you know, that would that would be most likely what the data suggests. Running-related injuries are caused mainly by running, training error. Although there was a new paper that came out recently, like two or three days ago, that actually said volume of running wasn't that well related to running injuries. So that's another one. Like, yeah, um, yeah. You know. So I don't like to be disingenuous. I don't like to, um, you know, say it's because of this and it's because of that. So we know that pain is complex. It could be chemical. It could be mechanical. It could be, you know, the joint, the ligament, the tendon, the this, the that, or the other. If I can try and find that clinically, I'm going to try and do it. I'm often much better at giving you a location of your pain and it's painful rather than actually telling you the exact reason why. Mm. But I think it's healthy to look at the idea that maybe how we manipulate our running is going to be the most likely solution to having a positive effect. But also, yeah. could it, you know, could it be rest? Could it be nutrition? Could it be all these other factors? So one thing I do know about pain is pain is not just a singular cause. Right. So we know that sleep has an effect on pain. We know that stress has an effect on pain. We know that overtraining has an effect on pain. All these factors. So there's so many different things that are going into this thing that we cause pain. We we call pain. That for me to pull one out and say it's this again, it's just not likely to be honest. But I'm going to say there's a whole bundle of things that we could have an effect on that might positively influence your pain. Yeah. And I, right, I think you just answered the question wonderfully. Oh, I you mean, do? you just answered the question. Yeah, yeah. You just don't. You just said loads of things. Loads yeah, of things cause pain. Because that's what runners don't get. Yes, the the multifactorial nature. So a great example I use is football injuries. What causes football injuries to go up at Christmas? I'm going to take a guess here and say football. Oh, genius, man. They play more games. Guess what happens? Injuries tend to go up as well. When do injuries tend to occur during sports? When we get times of fatigue and when we get, you know, all these other factors that come into it. So... What, what's the really cool thing about all this, though? These are factors we can manipulate. Mm. And that's the best thing. Don't worry about the exact cause. You know, is it a rip? Is it a tear? Well, most likely, no. What I know about the biology of pain tells us pain is mostly chemical. And that could be some really, really fancy things that I'm not going to go into that would blow our mind neurobiologically and all this kind of, you know, stuff that we probably don't need to talk about. Let's talk about the positive stuff. We can't always pinpoint the cause. There's a whole bundle of reasons that it could be, but there are lots of things we could positively manipulate to help you. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. That's a massive, and then that in itself is a huge message for runners. That's what I was hoping to get out of you and the fact that, because most runners will think my knee hurts because I've got something structurally wrong with my knee. But, so what did I say at the very beginning, Matt? What's the key message? Hurt doesn't always equal harm. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah fundamentally boils down to so what we know about patellofemoral pain is that patellofemoral pain jumps about it moves about it's hard to locate you know it's actually a diagnosis of exclusion patellofemoral pain what you actually do is you die you, you rule everything else out and say guess what it's pain in your knee and they nod at you people not yes it's definitely pain in your knee so one of the things is is that patellofemoral pain is unlikely to be structural because you've gone through all the structural tests which is fantastic. Yeah, I can yeah. tell you it isn't, and I can tell you that it probably isn't just your structure. You know, I can test your fat pad. I can test your ligament. I can test your tendon. I can test all these other things. You can mostly function really well. It just hurts when you run. That probably tells me structurally it's not too bad. I also know that the structures of, of runners, it, their knees are no worse than the structures of runners or, or people who do not run. So we know that running doesn't detrimentally affect structure, but we know that running sometimes can cause pain because you might be doing, you know, potentially a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, brilliant. Okay, then. So knocking on from that, a direct effect that I think would be interesting for, because now runners understand a bit more about pain and this multifactorial. How does it affect, and I've used a little Bowie kind of uh, clip here in respect to, do we have a Bowie fan? Matt, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only 26, so um, <laughs> of course, yeah. I don't know yeah, the way you're 17, and yeah, yeah. No, true. you're one. Let's be honest. Let, let, let's be honest with each other, aren't you? Know, look, look at this. Yeah. 
Well, you won't. I oh, know exactly. Yeah, you won't. Rec you won't recognise this kind of um, uh, chicha changes will mean nothing to you. But it was a popular oh, song from I, the seventies and eighties. Yeah. yeah, no, it means nothing to me, mate. My, I'm an Ariana Grande fan. That's me. That's my age range. All right, Ariana Grande, mate. All right then. <laughs> so, um, yeah, treatments. Because I mean, one of the big things I'm hoping runners get from this message is that when they well, firstly, do they actually need to go and see someone, which is probably a whole other uh, subject. But when they do go and pay their services of a professional, if it's not structural necessarily or the, the, the percentage of structural involvement is less than they thought, what other things should they be considering or receiving when they do go and see a professional compared to what traditionally would happen? Well, I think one of the problems with professionals, uh, and I am, I hope, well, am I a professional? I don't know. Maybe not. Um I would say, I mean, this is a debatable question. Um, I would say one of the problems sometimes with going to see people is that they often give you a call. Like, they will often say, oh, it's this or oh, it's that. And actually, people don't really understand. They don't really know. Um, and the problem is sometimes suddenly they'll give you a, a kind of a description about what your problem is, and that description actually is negative. So, oh, you know, my desire is that, I want to find out what's wrong with my knee. And someone tells me what's wrong with my knee, you know, whether they actually can know that or not, which I often highly would highly debate. Um, but the problem is suddenly now you have a diagnosis or you have a structure to blame and it doesn't always positively help us. So I think what we need to find is clinicians who are supportive, who are honest and who involve the, the, the patient in the treatment process. A good clinician should listen to someone a good clinician should work with them and the way that they, you know, they feel and they think. A good clinician should be able to provide a really good plan. It should actually, a good clinician should put the patient in the driving seat. And one of the problems we have with clinicians a lot of the time is they do all the opposites. They scare people. They they make them um, kind of, they'll offer them 20 treatments to their knee all passively and these different things. So really, what kind of treatment do people expect? I don't know exactly. But I do know a good clinician won't scare you and he'll put you in the driving seat of your recovery. So talk more about because some runners might not understand what you mean by passive treatments. Yeah. So, look, if you're going to go and get a massage or acupuncture or ultrasound for running related injuries, I would say the majority of the time that's not I would not call that best practice. All right. So I think what we currently know best practice is about is about understanding a little bit more about you as a human, understanding some of the things that are affecting your training programs, um, you know, your rest versus recovery, your um, training versus recovery, sorry, and all these type of things, you know. So um, I, I, it's probably valid to have a look at the way that someone runs. It's probably valid to have a look at how much they run. Um, it's valid to look at loading and, and exercise-based stuff. But I would say that too many treatments just based on making it feel better often don't make it feel better. And the other issue is, is that running related injuries often don't hurt all the time. They just hurt when you run. So, you know, what? why would you get a treatment that's based around reducing pain when you haven't got pain? Does that make sense? It does, but answer your own question then. Why do runners go and get a treatment? What do they think is happening? Well, okay, so I think that sometimes we feel like we're, we, you know, again, it comes back to structure, doesn't it? That if our concept of pain is linked into structure, well, then someone's treating our structure. But unfortunately, these passive treatments don't affect structure. They have very little effect on structure. You cannot, with your hands or with a needle or with a with whatever, you can't really affect the structure of a knee or an ankle or any of these kind of things. If you did... You know, could you imagine if you could actually affect the structure during a massage? You, you'd suddenly have all these bone spurs from massages, wouldn't you? <laughs> you see what I mean? If you actually created these physical changes, what would that be positive? I, I don't know. It might not be positive. So um, I think we need to look a little bit more medium to long term with treatment rather than short term. And I think a lot of the treatments that you can get out there are focused on the short term. And I don't think that always relates well to running injuries per se, because running injuries don't happen in the short term, if that makes sense. They're running related, which I think puts them in a, in a bit of a different bracket. Cool. So I'm going to continue playing the devil's advocate. 
Um, so this isn't me now. I haven't got my head on. I'm actually playing a runner because these are questions that I hear in clinic and it's great to yeah. hear your perspective yeah. of how you deal with them. So and I'm not um, I mean, we offer dry needling here at Studio 57. Well, obviously, we do massage. We do um, some therapies. We've got osteopaths who, who uh, we've even had osteopaths in the past <clears throat> who will do kind of uh, cranial therapy and all that sort of stuff. So but ultimately, if a runner comes to you. And say, well, look, I've had acupuncture on my Achilles and, and, and it felt much better afterwards. How are you going to explain that? You just said that you don't think these things help. Well, so, I mean, I still think every treatment, with every treatment, there is an element of a personal response. So we know that any treatment that someone gets, there is a wide range of responses that you can get to that. Um, but I would, I would also ask, you know, I went and got, you went and got acupuncture. So why are you back here again? If it sorted the problem out, then you wouldn't be in front of me. There must be something else going on as well here. You know, so again, acupuncture, it, it has a short-term effect. So if you want a short-term effect, have acupuncture. But if you, but when we look at long-term or longer-term running injuries, such as an Achilles tendinopathy, I'm not really going to advocate some of these shorter-term treatment things. That's, you know, it's all personal choice. That's my personal choice. Yeah. And uh, I'm still enjoying grilling you because it's. I'm That's right. I do it. I do it. And also, I feel it. safe because I'm not near you because I know you're a bit handy with your left hook. I think you were famous for at one point. So <laughs> I feel very safe here to challenge you. So what about? I mean, I'm, they're leading questions, but I want you to kind of like answer them for the audience because you'll probably put it better than I ever can. But what about someone has um, an Achilles issue? They go and have six weeks of acupuncture i'm not specifically picking on acupuncture i could say six weeks of cross friction therapy and people rubbing their achilles tendon or ultrasound yeah. or and then they're better how are yeah. you going to suggest to them or suggest to another client that they shouldn't go and pay for six sessions of that as well well i mean absolutely i think one of the issues here is that for every person you can find that it helped you'll find someone that it didn't um but also i, I think one of the key factors here is what else happened in that six weeks. You know, that's the problem that we have, don't we, with anecdotal stories. It's not controlled science. You know, it might be that you didn't run for six weeks. And during that six weeks, you had acupuncture. Both may have, you know, it might be the not having run for six weeks was the beneficial thing. You know, so, but I would say with Achilles tendinopathy, I, that would be a very rare story. You generally mm -hmm. find that people have had lots and lots of treatments and actually, the Achilles is not painful as much, but they still can't run. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. the key there. So it might be that it might get a little less sore, and they attribute that to having some needles poked in it. Um, one of the problems is, and I'm going to give you some science here, if you look at uh, something like acupuncture and, and tendinopathy, the whole idea of oh, friction, the whole idea was that you're stimulating a healing response. Um, but that's not really involved in tendinopathy. That healing response isn't what's required to get the tendon better. Now, there are some biochemical processes, but it doesn't seem to be the traditional healing response that they've applied from other, some of these more invasive kind of treatments. I think, um, you know, I, I, you will always get people who, who, who have good treatments with things and it has a positive effect for them and that they continue to go back to that. But you will also find there are lots of these people that don't actually get better. They get an effect and they confuse an effect with getting better. Essentially, why have they got this long history of coming to see you? Ah, you know, this made me feel better. Why are you here then? Why are you not out running? Yeah. And I think yeah. it's, it's tricky because the runner, for example, I can hear the runners in my head answering you. I'm trying to put myself in their position. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's coming back again. The medication's not working. But a lot of runners will say, well, so what? You know, if it works, it works. Who cares how it works? But that's one of my big things that... But it doesn't as, work. Yeah. The problem is yeah. that what works is what needs to be defined. So yeah, it yeah. might make you feel better. It doesn't mean you're back running. There are two different things there. Yeah, yeah. And if it worked, then we wouldn't see so many people who have already been for six weeks of acupuncture. Now they come to see us, kind of moving around the therapist. And so if it didn't work, then why, why would we do it now? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important that if you're going to see a therapist and they are not getting involved in your running and, and, the, and the things that seem to be run related, then they're not really treating you. 
they're just mm. playing around with pain, which may or may not help your problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, even, I don't even like the word therapist anymore. I mean, I went down the sports therapy route, even calling, I don't try not to call myself a therapist, because I think even that's got connotations of lie down on the couch and I'm going to cure you and heal you. I can't think of a better word. And although we shouldn't really worry too much about what we call ourselves, it does, because you're advertising yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, I like to call myself a human shame and healer. I find that that... <laughs> It's me the best, and I've got like a little tent out the back, and we do these smoke things. And no, I understand our, our idea of therapy is often that someone does something to us, mm. uh, and you know we we exacerbate that by environment. We have a, a room with a little bed. You know, I don't personally, but we have these small little rooms that are confined to little beds, and they're mostly about doing things to people lying down. And from me, from my perspective, that's not really therapy. You know, I, I think that the therapy encompasses a whole bunch of different things. Really, I suppose I would call myself a therapist slash coach because what I'm really doing, and this doesn't matter whether you're a runner, whether you have persistent pain or whatever, really I'm trying to coach you to be able to help yourself. So rather than me treating you, I'm giving you the tools to be able to go away and help yourself. And that's the difference between, I think, good therapists and bad therapists. I said it before, they put you in the driving seat. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that comes across on your um, courses as well, um, which um, obviously are aimed more towards therapists and personal trainers and physiotherapists. But it's teaching people how to become educators and coaches as opposed to therapists, kind of put more of that hat on and trying to elicit yeah, experiences as well than just giving explanations. Yeah, I think what, you know, I most therapists who come to my courses, they have learned to be therapists. They've gone to therapist school, whether that's physio, osteo, chiro, sports therapy, whatever. So I can't help them be therapists. They've done that. They've passed the exams. They've been to university, whatever. But what I can hopefully offer people is a different way to apply some of those skills and to pick out maybe which of those skills are more important in different circumstances. So when it comes to running, when it comes to, you know, chronic pain, these type of things, I don't believe people need someone doing things to them. I think they need people to help them do better to themselves because it's not just about your body and your structure. It's about lifestyle. In a sports sense, it might be about recovery. It might be about nutrition. It might be about sleep. It might be about stress. It might be about timings. It might be about all these other factors. With chronic pain, it might be it, many of the similar things. It might be about stress. It might be about sleep. But they may be from different perspectives. But what everyone needs is more of a coach and a guide rather than a healer. The healer mentality makes people, unfortunately, move backwards and move. They don't see themselves as a key factor. We are always the key factor in our recovery in our lives. Someone just sometimes needs to point you in the right direction from my perspective. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I think that sums it up nicely. And it is. It's a case of runners realising that, yeah, the more time they have physiotherapy done to them or they have a treatment or they have anything done to them. it. I mean, in my in my view, it can play a, a big role because it can help desensitise the system. I've always said that when if you get somebody and, and they give you permission to put your hands on them, then it opens up their ears just as much as anything else um, so that, you, you know, I joke no about when you are giving a massage, I think it was, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said that, you know, most of the massage you do is with your mouth. Um, I'll just give you a moment. <laughs> to judge. I'm not sure what you're doing. I find it strangely effective. And I want to be sure we have little rooms with little beds and closed doors. But But a lot of the effect you can have when you're doing manual therapy is because you're opening up the ears to some education. And, you know, if you just sat yeah. down in a room and started telling these things, I think clinical assessment, um, hands on treatment, even exercise is always a window to interact with people and build alliance and build um, and find out more about people and communicate with people. Sometimes formal, formal education and formal interviews of people don't work in the same way as an interview that's less garbage. 
you know, and sometimes when we're working with people, that's the thing, isn't it? I think we need to view it as working with people rather than on people. Um, but also patients and runners and whoever need to perceive that as well. They need to know from day dot you're working with them, not on them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You, you said you can do that in a number of different ways. I, I would never, I would not argue that point, Matt. All right? Yeah, and and I suppose another a useful take on of working with them is that they're going to have to do their homework as well. It's not just a case of come to clinic, have something done to them. You're going to set them well, up a plan, and you know that's, that's one of the So I think the first thing is we have to have accountability and responsibility. If you want to be a healthy human being, well, no one can do that for you, unfortunately. And I think someone sometimes needs to give you a, a little click around the ear roll and tell you that. You know, in a, in, in a nice way or sometimes not in a nice way. You know, I, I will sometimes have to brutally tell people, you know, you are going to have to really be involved in this. This is the only way that it's going to work. And other times people are very motivated. Other times you may be able to motivate people with a carrot. Sometimes you have to motivate people with a stick, unfortunately. You know, so I think sometimes it is about telling people, you know, let's take someone with lower back pain who who's obese and they have a lot of comorbidities comorbidities they have very poor health well at some point you are going to have to take responsibility for your health if you want to be in less pain i can do that in a really really nice way but if i don't get the response that i need it's my responsibility as your coach to tell you that maybe in a less nice way unfortunately because i would be remiss in my responsibility if i didn't yeah 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 i think as particularly with runners there's still a problem because we read and hear about the elites very much having stuff done to them. The yeah. stories yeah. of like Paula Radcliffe, who's trainer, I can't remember his name now, but he said, I've never pummeled anyone like I pummeled Paula. Her pain was incredible. The, the, and it's what she needed. And it's yeah. tricky because yeah. when you're dealing with that population, the difference that w- carrying a little rabbit's foot can make, I suppose, in terms of context um, effect can be huge. But that's yeah, because everything yeah. else they've got is is 100%. But when it comes to a recreational runner, the little rabbit's foot doesn't make much difference or the belief that that pummy is going to help them. There's well, other go after the big rocks. Um, so if anyone comes to you and quotes Paula Radcliffe, I would be inclined to say, I see some differences. Um, and I think, that's, I, think I, I think it's really, really important to understand that Paula Radcliffe probably has a great training plan. She has a real lot of experience. Exactly. You probably get her nutrition on point. You know, she's got people to help her with that stuff. So if she gets a massage, we don't know if that helps or not because she's got all this other good stuff going on. And also she's Paula Radcliffe, and that makes her not like you. Um, one of the problems is that elite athletes are elite athletes. They are not the same as us. Otherwise, we would all be elite athletes, and we're not. So I think that using an elite athlete as an example of stuff is a poor example because they don't reflect um, the normal runner or the normal footballer, or the normal anybody. The fact that they are not normal makes them an elite. And being an elite means that they also get the, good, the, the big important stuff right. They get people to look after their training programs, look after their nutrition, look after all the things that probably go into being a successful runner. If you haven't looked after those things, don't worry about getting a massage, worry about the big rocks. And yeah. stop believing that you're an elite runner. Because you're not. <laughs> oh, I realised that a long time ago. No, that's the point. That's the point, that we cannot use them as an, as an example of, of the everyday person. These uh, people are almost superhuman. They're the elite of the humans. You know, they are not a good example of human beings. Yeah, that's true. It's very tricky, though, because it's massive clickbait. It's like every other day, um, there's a video on YouTube. I, th- I can't remember. I think it was Elliot Kipchoge or someone, but receiving this calf massage, which was he was in agony. He was gripping onto the end of this metal bed and screaming out. And it's presented as if this is what will make you an elite Kenyan runner, you know. And it's just the fact they're having it done and then they do what they do makes other runners think, geez, that's what I need then. I'm going to let this uh, therapist beat the hell out of my calves and make me scream. It's, it's very hard. There's a lot I'd against I'd probably start with Kenyan thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not Kenyan, you're probably not the same as the Kenyan because there's a reason why Kenyans seem to be good at this running thing. Right? <laughs> yeah, just, but maybe I mean, it's because they get really excessive calf massages. Yeah, I think it's probably more the Kenyan thing. <laughs> um, but you see what I mean? It's like if someone if someone conceptualises it, oh, 
you know, the elite Kenyan runners get it. So, you know, it's like, well, no, it, because they're elite Kenyan runners, um, you know, and they've, they've genetically designed to do things that you can't do. And they are genetically designed to run more miles than you. And um, this is just something that they get done. It's not going to, it doesn't make them a better runner, you know. <laughs> there are some, some big differences. I mean, I remember reading an article about um, uh, Kaino Kip. Um, I think I read circumcised with a stick, which was something oh, which well, obviously doesn't make you Do you know what? My running has been quite poor recently. Um, so this afternoon, I'm going to get circumcised with a stick too. And I think oh, tomorrow, it's going to be a lot better. <laughs> Not tomorrow, because then they take you to a little hut somewhere and um, you have to run for a week. Um, to find your food in the outback somewhere, and yeah, it's. I don't no, think this will happen. Why they have to throw in some tricky stuff. Why can't they just, you know, do the stick thing and just say it's fine? Why do yeah. they, have to, you know, I mean, tricky these Kenyans, tricky stuff. It's tricky though because, um, I mean, if if as therapists now, if we're going to understand our runners and expect them to go and do their exercises or make the changes to their sleeping patterns or nutrition. We've got to be aware of what they're seeing and watching and hearing and listening to and, and what's working kind of against us. Um, and yeah, for us, it sounds yeah. ridiculous comparing ourselves to a Kenyan runner, but they'll just, you know, follow it. The same running routine, the same nutrition. They'll be I'm not saying they're going to circumcise themselves with a stick, but it wouldn't shock me if after this video, <laughs> one of them did. Oh, those runners are pretty crazy, Matt. Oh, hold on. I've got a phone call. You've done watch yourself? Uh, yeah, I've got a 12 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I've tried to do it three times and it didn't make me a better. I just thought if I took it right down to the nubbin, then I'd be a better. But it, it, it didn't work. <laughs> um, anyway, let's move away from that area of the body. Um, let's go. I, to... I have to talk so seriously all the time, you know, and we're getting into good territories. Okay, let's put another thing up for you because I'd like to make some parallels. We've talked about runners who are injured or suffering from pain because that's an important distinction the two aren't necessarily the same thing what about runners who aren't well, we kind of touched on it but i'm going to put it up there anyway by understanding pain by understanding uh, that it's an output and not an input blah 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 does that affect the way that runners potentially can reduce the risk of getting into problems and, and becoming injured well, look, one thing about injury risk is just like pain. It's complicated, it's complex, it's multifactorial, and some of it is just plain random. So injury, we will never completely understand why people get injured. Now, as I, I me and you were talking off air, I think, and uh, apart from you telling me how tall and handsome and beautiful I was. Um, I said we tall. Were, you said tall, definitely, Matt. But look, what you cannot, I, I mean, I'm six foot five, you can't tell from here but that's don't laugh man i find that yeah, highly offensive but, yeah. uh, I, I think that you know injury risk is very uh very contradictory meaning that you'll read one thing and it will say you know this was associated and you'll read so a great example is how much your ankle flexes it seems that too much and too little is related to achilles tendinopathy you know it looks like we've seen an association between how much you run and um, an injury. And then another paper will say, oh, well, it's not associated. So there are so many things that, you know, what, what human beings want is they want this singular, don't they? They want this. This is the answer. Unfortunately, I think injury risk needs to, reducing injury risk means doing the good stuff. You're having a good training program, cross training, um, you know, making sure that you are as a human being um, in a good place to go out and run. I, I go for a run once a week and I bloody hate it, but it makes me better at boxing because I, I feel fitter. Whether that's a placebo, I have no idea. Um, but I've noticed if I go out on a Saturday morning after having a drink the night before, my running feels horribly difficult. You know, so even things like how much alcohol I intake, you know, it, it, it might be a big deal. So it's if, I, if you want to tell people how to reduce injury risk, it's probably doing the good stuff. It's training well. It's smart training. It's treating your body well. You know, if you are burning the candle at both ends, socialising, working hard, running a lot, is that likely to increase the risk of your system developing a problem? I would have to say absolutely. So why do top class sports people rest, 
eat well. You know, even a great example was they even the England football team even did some uh, reducing of social media at the World mm-hmm. Cup. They actually had a social media ban because these are your mind just continually running when you're on social media. Now, I'm a fine one to talk because I'm a bit of a social media addict. It's a big part of, you know, what I do for work. But even that is working. It's, it, it, it's, it's, you know, your system and your stress regulation is still working. And so if you want to reduce injury risk, be smart, do good stuff, be sensible about how much you run, vary the amount of running, vary the running shoes, vary the surfaces, vary the routes, um, treat your body well. Don't think that you're a superhuman. Don't think that you're Kenyan if you're not. Exactly. I just want to put that one in at the end. Yeah, yeah. I suppose by putting reducing injury risk, I put that, I, you know, I led you down that path. But if I put reducing pain risk in terms of reducing sensitivity, um, yeah. that sort of stuff, I suppose all the stuff you've just said is relative to that. If you're, de- if you're decreasing, it's the same, isn't it? Same shizzle. Um, injury, yeah. injury and pain are intertwined, but you can have injury without pain and pain without injury. But yeah. the result is it hurts. That, that's what people are interested in. It hurts. If you would like to reduce how much it hurts, then, or, or the likelihood of getting hurty, you know, a lot of our diagnoses that we give people are just hurty knee and hurty foot. And, you know, they're not actually about structure and injury. Patellofemoral pain means your knee hurts. It doesn't actually give you an idea of particularly the structure because um, the knees, the patellofemoral joint, quite a broad diagnosis, isn't it? It's just where two things come together. Um, but if you want to reduce the likelihood of getting pain from your running, be smart. Do the things that people do that make you better at running. You know, you could, but you could still get all, do everything right and still get an injury. So this is the problem. You cannot eliminate injury. You cannot stop injury. You can reduce risk. That's the best that we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think a lot of runners, there's a, there's a there's an irony too because runners have this um, once you run a certain amount of miles a week you become a runner and that is your identity or self identity oh, uh, and when you become injured well once you start not being able to run then you get more and more stressed and therefore your pain sensitivity thresholds I mean you start hurting more um, and it's it becomes a vicious cycle doesn't it. And runners still think that the reason it's hurting is because they've done something to their ankle when really they need to be kind of realise that they need to throw things out of their life which are causing them stress. Um, so yeah. it's not going yeah. away. That, that might be. I mean, look, so I, I like the way that you touched on identity. And I think with exercise, you know, you know, I, I, my, my identity might be I'm a lifter or my identity might be I'm a runner or I'm a CrossFit or I'm this or I'm that. And actually sometimes... It makes it hard to control some of the variables. So if my if, if running is my stress relief or running is my social life, that makes it harder for me to control the variables because I use running to beat stress. I'm stressed. So I go out and I run. And that in itself, that relationship could be problematic. So I think it's good to have an identity, but sometimes the identity can be more detrimental than it is positive. Oh, definitely. Especially with social media, because the amount of runners who they change their identity from, oh, I'm doing part one, I'm getting my PBs to I'm the injured runner. And suddenly all over social media, they're the injured runner. I think that can be just as destructive as as anything if they start giving themselves that label. Well, we see that in all pain scenarios, don't we, where people are um, associated with being in pain. And we might see that from patients with long term persisting pain patients who um, join certain groups that are about being injured or painful. Again, can it become an identity? Um, I'm not suggesting that is negative or positive. That's not the suggestion here. So for some people, it might be dramatically positive. For other people, it might also be negative. Um, But certainly the idea of identity, how that affects our behaviour is very real. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's one of the Probably the many problems about social media, I think, that we're dealing with now. Um, just not being able to list all your runs on Strava and just feeling that you're not yourself anymore. It's, it's something I definitely see in clinic um, and explains why a lot of runners aren't getting better as quickly as they well, should be. They aren't running for themselves anymore, are they? They may be running for outside appearance. 
So if I'm this guy who does these amazing Strava runs and posts them up and that's what I'm known for, well, that's going to be problematic for limiting the amount that I run because no one is bulletproof and we just run forever. Um, and this is one of the problems I find with things like biomechanic and analysis is it suggests if you run perfectly, you'll never get injured. And that's just not true. You know, it's actually that there's other factors involved there, such as running volume, the amount of stress systemically I'm under, previous injury history, all these different things. So that's sometimes I think the view that people have, if they fix this thing about their running, they'll be superhuman. And unfortunately, no one is superhuman apart from the Kenyans. And you're not a Kenyan, so give it up. I've lived there for a while, but I suppose I'm not, yeah. I'm not I'm not buying it, Matt. You're not telling me to me, buddy. I know that you may have an identity of being a Kenyan, but yeah. you're not there, but I'm I'm sorry to be it's another one of your multiple personalities, obviously. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so um God look, fifty four minutes already. So take home points then, rounding it up. I mean what I've kind of gathered from you so far is understanding that pain doesn't equal um tissue damage necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. That pain doesn't automatically mean that you have in, that you have a damage or a really definable injury. In fact, many running injuries can be really, really difficult to define. You know, also, uh, they'll come in and point to the knee, and then it will jump around, and it will move around, and it will hurt at different times and in different intensities. And people want a really, really singular answer. Mm. And sometimes that's very, very difficult because pain doesn't always work that way. So. And then the knock-on effect of that is when we're trying to, when we see a professional to sort out our pain, we automatically assume that we need something done to our knee or done to our ankle. Yeah. And that may well yeah. not be the case. Um, so that's um, kind of take-home point number two is don't expect someone to necessarily be able to cure your pain by doing stuff to you. Um, the fact that when it comes to um, understanding pain, we know that we can fear pain and that can cause problems or we can choose to ignore it, the other end of the spectrum, that can cause problems. Um, and then when it comes to uh, reducing the risk of suffering pain, then all the other external factors you mentioned, like stress levels in life, recovery, sleep, all those sort of things um, can make a big difference as well. Um, fantastic. OK, well, I think you've, you've mentioned quite a few things there, which hopefully runners will be able to take on board. Due to the right. wonderful right. way you input it. Many, many years yeah. of working with runners I have to say, because they want to go running. Um, so <laughs> that can be difficult. <laughs> what, um, you don't, obviously you, your courses are main, uh, are aimed at therapists and coaches yeah. and physical or anybody who works, um, with people in pain, basically, isn't it? What have you got lined up? What have you got coming up? Uh, in the new year, I'm off to Taiwan on the 2nd of January. Going to go to Taiwan for a little bit and then I come back. Um, I'm in San Diego and Portland early February, then I go up to, I'm in Australia in March. Um, so I think this year I visited maybe 12, 15 countries, and I think I'll probably do the same next year again. I'm booked all sorts of places up to about 2020 at the moment. So, and I'm not really sure why. I mean, you, as you can tell from the last hour, um, I've got a whole load of waffle, haven't I? I mean, look, maybe it's my champion waffling skills. You know, I don't know. Oh, just your, yeah, just the, the sexual kind of... Oh, the, I, yeah, probably. Just, just radiating from it. It's probably my, you know, intense muscular frame coupled with my model-like good looks yeah. and six foot five height, yeah. Am I selling it this to is, you? This is the problem of people listening to the podcast. They're not getting the visual impact of Mr. Ben Cormack on screen, but... I'm running um, down. That's the choice. You know it's all true. Just face it. Just face up. You're just jealous. That's the problem, yeah. But you're still you're still managing to fit in courses in London and in the UK as well, aren't you? People no, that less, travel that far. Less and less, to be honest with you. Like this year coming up, I've only got two two UK courses. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that. Yeah, I, I, I just people ask me to go places, and I go different places. So mm. it's just become um, unfortunately, and uh, and London's so expensive. Mm. You know, to get cool venues and um, for people to go there and stay. And so the UK is, uh, yeah, can be a, quite a tough market actually sometimes for courses. I think just we, um, you know, just things like travel and accommodation and things like that. London is just like, and I'm a Londoner, you know, and it's just ridiculously expensive. Yeah, which well, it makes it tricky for me, mate, because, I mean, 
I'm always I get therapists asking me, well, what should I do then? I've listened to Run Chat Live and stuff, and I understand now that I shouldn't be looking for the latest manual therapy technique. I want courses that teach me how to become a better coach or educator and um, to understand pain. And normally you're my go-to guy, but if you're doing less than well, I mean, I mean, I'm in London in May. I mean, like, I've got okay. a course in London in May, so I'm still here, buddy. I'm still here yeah. for you. I'm still your go-to. I'm still your go-to. Even though you think you're Kenyan and you're not, you're not. I still love you. And you still offer online support, don't you? You still got, like your mentorship stuff and that going? Yeah, so I do more online stuff now. I find it helps me. I just recently started an online program, and I think we had therapists from like twenty different countries join up all, all over the world, which was uh, which was really really fantastic. It just shows that people still, you know, want some education maybe that's driven um in some different directions rather than that kind of healer mentality it's very much about working with people and helping putting people in the driving seat and that kind of stuff yeah i think that's the thing although i miss and i think there's it's tricky i don't i think we're in danger of losing that face-to-face contact when it comes to courses now because online makes it so much easier but i think that said if a therapist wanting to evolve and become better therapists there's so much information out there which they're not taking advantage of online which is probably free there's your i mean your website um core it's core hyphen core hyphen i only recently found out it was a hyphen k-n-e-t-i-c.com so core kinetic um movement do you like it core movement Core kinetic. Do you get it? Do you see yeah, it? Yeah. No, I get it. I, I understood when I, yeah. yeah. Oh. Exactly. But yeah, there's so much information on there. So you haven't necessarily got to pay thousands of pounds there. If it's just start following the people that I follow. Oh, and looking so at much. Almost. I, I suppose I, what I charge people for, obviously I've got to make a living and I, I, I feel like what I give is fairly uh, ethical. But I would like to see myself as a bit of a filter. Mm. So there is all this information out there, but sometimes people need it to be filtered a little bit, you know. So I see myself as a bit of a filter. I'm not the world's best clinician. I'm not the world's best researcher. Um, but I, feel, I, I am reasonably dedicated to filtering what I think is good information people need to know. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think that's a good, uh, a good uh, definition of you. You are a filter, a conduit. <laughs> but yeah. a really cool handsome one. Or just a con. We can yeah, just I don't know. You'd have to ask someone else. Um, but what, this is turning into like Watchdog. You're exposing me on, on air, aren't you? What, what anyway. Diamond. Was it Anne Diamond? It was, yeah. Now you're showing your age. Yeah, so much for 26. Well, sorry, buddy. It slipped out from <laughs> it, I know. Okay, so, um, yeah, so runners. Um, no, Ben's posts are going to go way over your head. It's for therapists. Um, don't start going down those rabbit holes you'll never run again um but runners um, hopefully <laughs> you have got some information which is valuable to you for the runners listening to this and watching this it's more about understanding what to expect when you do go and see another therapist which is you down and doing stuff to you then you're missing out and um, there needs to be education involved there probably needs to be some you doing some movement i think diane jacobs put it nicely it's kind of like a burger where you've got the the education, maybe some therapy because she's into a dermoneuromodulation, but definitely then some movements, some active movements on the end. It needs to be a combination of those three factors. If there's only manual therapy done on you, you're missing out on the education. Um, if they make you do stuff and you don't understand why you're doing it, you're missing out on the education, uh, on the actual uh, active movement. So, yeah, hopefully runners have got something uh, useful to say great from that. Ben, thank you very much. I know you're a busy man. Um, once again, people, if you've enjoyed what Ben has said, then please do share. Um, I'll put a link to Ben's website in the comments underneath. Um, so if you're a therapist, well, if you're not following Ben and you're a therapist, then you're not really a therapist in my view. No, come on. I'm not fine. It's a very beautiful thing to say, but I'm not. No, no, who are they fooling? You know, who are they fooling? <laughs> They're definitely not up to date and evidence based. So there we go. Look, mate, thank you very much again for your time. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Always. Um, I'm going to sign you out of here and then I'll say goodbye to everyone. Um, and then maybe I'll come back afterwards and, and we'll just talk the two of us. All right, buddy. See you later. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. OK, people. Well, that was great. That was very entertaining, as always. Episode 14 with uh, Mr. Ben Cormack. Um, like I say, yeah, therapist, you need to be following Ben full stop.
um, definitely. Um, just to start challenging what you've been told on courses, what you've been brought up to believe, et cetera, et cetera, and to start opening your mind up to some critical thinking. The great thing about Ben is, is you'll notice with me, he answers questions with another question because uh, that's what an educator does. You know, you don't just give people answers. You encourage them to think, to self-analyze and then come up with their own answers. Um, so wonderful. I do hope the runners who have listed as well have got some uh, a better understanding of pain and how that affects your current way of dealing with pain, avoiding pain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's the last episode of One Chat Live for this year as well. So we've gone out on a high with Mr. Cormac. Uh, we'll be back there in January. We've got some exciting guests lined up. Um, and to keep in contact with that, just follow us on social media. Like I say, we're a podcast now. I'm slowly uploading old episodes. Um, so you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, etc. Um, as always, I just please, please, please like and share and all that. We don't make any money out of this. Ben certainly doesn't make any money out of this. I don't. Um, it's just a case of sharing the good word. So if you've enjoyed it, share it somewhere, like it if you've got a like button, etc. Uh, but that's it for today. Uh, that has been a runner's guide to pain. And um, so all I need to say is adios, thank you, and goodbye. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.